direct conversation, some deep reactions, please. All this comics narrationating me. A little more talk, a lot less read. A little fight, baby, is what I need. Close the trade, open up your brains. Explain it to me. Explain it to me, baby. Explain it to me. Thank you, Vandello, and welcome to Rhett Conversations. My name is Josh Wasta, a.k.a. Fallout Fieri. And uh, I would be remiss if I did not introduce my wonderful co-host. She would put her tender heart in a blender, watch it spin around to a beautiful oblivion. It's Miss Leia Cameron, Professor Al. <sighs> Hi, everyone. <laughs> okay, but, but seriously, this one doesn't have some hidden meaning that I don't know about. Because the last time I introduced you, I said there was a halo hanging from the corner of your four-post bed. And you're like... That is a used condom, and I'm like, what? Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. That was uh, that. I'm 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 cursed with certain musical knowledge, and that was uh, that was one of the weird, obscure things that I happen to know. <laughs> uh, and our guest today, uh, a, a graphically novel uh, uh, two timer, but the first time on Rec Conversations, it's Mr. Dan Schaefer. Mr. Schaefer, thank you for joining us. I am happy to be here, and I'm looking forward to this immensely. And auditing today's show is uh, Graphically Novels, uh, Baronessa, and my beautiful wife, Jennifer Howland. Hello. So um, we are going to be doing Luke Cage Noir today. So we, are, we will be discussing um, the larger noir universe, and to give a little backstage view, originally we were going to talk about Luke Cage Noir, Spider-Man Noir, and X-Men Noir. That was extremely uh, uh, optimistic of me uh, to to put in there because each comic is only about 100 pages, 130 uh, for Luke Cage, uh, like 98 for Spider-Man and like 104 change for X-Men. Um, but they are packed, like as you would expect from a noir genre kind of kind of thing. They put a lot into it and it's not even... Uh, like dialogue that we have to go through or fight scenes like normal comics it is just there is a lot to explain as to how the noir plot ties into things so it's going to be really yeah. excited so what we're going to do is lay and i have also read uh spider-man noir and x-men noir uh the first of each of those i own both of the spider-man and both of the x-men ones so i've read them before i really like this but just to bring everybody up to speed uh, this is how it will go. Uh, the Today, I will be the uh, main instructor, so I will be explaining Luke Cage Noir in intricate detail uh, to Mr. Schaefer, who at any point can st- pull the emergency brake on our show, stop the show dead, and ask any question that he desires. It can be a funny question. It can be a serious question. It can be like, no, seriously, who wrote this? Uh, you know, we, we get a lot of what the fucks on this show. Uh, it, it is just something that happens. Um, at that point, it is up to the other professor, Professor L, to answer his question. If she can't, she can go ahead and toss it to me. Or uh, as we have introduced when our uh, auditing professor, uh, Professor J, or the other Professor J, Jennifer, is here, <laughs> uh, she could just make up an answer if she feels like it. I'm the dean. You're the dean. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no. I'm double secret probation. 
I'm the dean. I'm the one who puts people on. Yeah, I'll give different. you. I'll, I'll give you maybe principal because if you mess with the bull, you could. No. Uh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> why? Why are you like this? Um, I've been like this quite some time now. So anyway, Mr. Schaefer or Dan, do you have any questions before we begin? I uh, no, I have no idea what to expect, frankly, and I like that. So okay, well, let's hear it. Well, we also gave you kind of a list uh, beforehand. So what oh, yeah. drew you to Marvel Noir? Um, well, since I really wasn't familiar with anything on the list, um, the the word noir jumped out at me. I'm a big fan of noir and hard boiled uh, detective stuff and 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 film. Uh, so um, I was very curious about how that was either laid over the Marvel universe or how the Marvel universe adapted to that or adapted it to the, the, the universe so that's what intrigued me fantastic well i'm going to go over a couple of things before i begin just some background knowledge um first of all this is true noir all of these stories take place in the 1930s they are not in like what would be considered the like the marvel universe history this is actual 1930s history so you're going to deal with things like uh you know the great depression Hoover, uh, all of those things actually become story elements and all these things like a true noir kind of does being placed in that time period. Um, there are quite a series of these. Um, the first one being Spider-Man Noir, which most people are familiar with due to Into the Spider-Verse, famously voiced by Mr. <laughs> Nicholas Cage. Perfection. Uh, in, absolute in perfection. Perfection of a role. Yes, absolutely. However, um, so the entirety of the run was there's Daredevil Noir, there's Iron Man Noir, Punisher Noir, Weapon X Wolverine, and, and Weapon X Noir, Wolverine, pardon me, Noir, Luke Cage, and then there are two Spider-Men and two X-Men. Um, and then after all of it, of course, because uh, Deadpool has to be put in everything, they had Deadpool pulp um, as, a, <laughs> as a response. So take that as you will. Um, I'm going to uh, put it forward right away uh, because Leigh and I have been discussing this, that while the artist um, for this uh, book was African-American, both of the writers were white men, um, which is a strange decision for a Luke Cage uh, comic and for the subject material that we'll be going into. Um, I just want to prepare people for that because there are definitely, there are definitely race issues. Uh, that will be discussed. In. Um, again, it's strange. And, you know, especially in a modern context, I know that uh, for the Graphically Novel team, we have not done anything Luke Cage oriented, um, specifically because we're a bunch of white people. And, uh, you know, we're, we have not had a guest yet that is a person of color that has come forward. And we just don't feel comfortable tackling that subject material normally without having representation of the show where we're doing that. Um, so this is the exception just because it is the best introduction to this world. Um, out of all the ones that I've read, um, you know, we, we, uh, we felt that this was the best reference. So, so, so I do have, I do have one question. Sure. Is, is there a preferred sequence to read these? Are they interconnected or are they standalone just set in the same noir world uh you can read each of these independent um the only ones that connect are the ones that are in their own series so like spider-man 
has uh, two different, uh, right? You know, uh, the first one is called The Evil That Men. Is it The Evil That Men Do? No, it's just Spider Man Noir. And then the sequel is called Eyes Without a Face. Um, Eyes Without a Face, you need the context of Spider Man Noir because that is the, um, that's the origin story um, to, to bring you to what's going on. Got it. Um, but yeah, you can read Daredevil Noir completely separately from Luke Cage, and there's no order. Um, so yeah. I am going to no order between the different characters. Right, runs. right, right. right. There yeah. is there yeah. is between like yeah, comics and their sequel, but right. not right. within the noir universe. You could just pick up one just, of them. Just clarifying. Yep, absolutely. Because the sequel right. to the next one one is called The Mark of Cain, um, and it goes into Juggernaut. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We begin. So Luke Cage uh, begins with uh, a cockroach on the ground and a voiceover. Uh, so basically the, the boxed-in word balloons that are spoken, but it's just... So whenever I say voiceover, that's what I mean. Uh, it is set up very classically like you would have a noir. Everything is washed out. Everything in this is like in sepia tones. And it's actually a little dif- difficult to tell white people apart in this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is amusing. Uh, you know, uh, I mean... You know, it is it is very much a uh, piece of that genre as I started to think about it. But so anyway, the voiceover starts. Everyone thinks they're born for greatness. And while that said, the the roach is squished by a man casting a shadow while he strangles a woman to death. Uh, a cop finds the body as the words appear. But some people, some people are just born to die. In a prison <laughs> cell, Minnie the Moocher is playing on a homemade radio. Luke Cage is being released from prison. And the voiceover asked, what about me? What was I born for? A newspaper declares, Luke, the power man cage, free. People whisper as he walks down the street. And a newspaper boy asks him uh, if his skin is really like steel. He flexes at him and says, you tell me. Luke wanders Harlem talking about missing the smells and sounds until he gets to uh, the barbershop. And he goes in, gets a shave. Uh, He and Walt, the barber, uh, start talking about Stryker. Uh, no other context other than, do you know where Stryker is now? Uh, the Walt tells him that Stryker now runs most of the neighborhood, and whatever Luke did right before he went to prison, which is alluded to but not explained at this point, emboldened Stryker and his gang to basically take over Harlem. So he drove Italians out, he drove the, the, uh, the Hispanics out, like he owns Harlem now, Due to whatever Luke did, um, an older man in the bar in the, the barbershop also is like, Hey, is it true that you got out because you volunteered for them experiments? And Luke's like, You don't know what you're talking about. Um, so Luke goes to Stryker's speakeasy, which is a great scene because the like speakeasy, like the, the eye hole thing, opens. yeah. And the guy's like, Do you know the password? And he's like, The password is I'm Luke Cage. And the guy's like, Get out of here, don't. And he reaches through, grabs the dude by his nostrils, and like pulls him so hard that the steel door like buckles. <laughs> like there's a head print. Um, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> it is pretty awesome. It's very Luke Cage. Yeah, it is awesome. But I hate to think of the physics that would cause steel to buckle in the shape of a head. Right. Oh yeah, like that guy would not have nostrils anymore. Like a guaranteed. Like it wouldn't have worked out that way at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. So I don't know if you've uh, played the video game Outriders at all. 
but there is a cutscene in the early part of that, which is essentially that very same thing. That's fantastic. The the the, <laughs> the protagonist, the player character, in a, in cutscene form, is trying to get into uh, a a place that they are not welcome, and reaches through and pulls uh, the the door bouncer's hand through and breaks his arm, but it's the same kind of yes. like reach and then bashes the door in. So, right. <laughs> so I, I, I got a perfect visual. On that. Excellent. Excellent. I, I love a good uh, speakeasy sliding door, like joke. Yes, you know? me too. <laughs> like, like who framed Roger rabbit where the password is Walt sent me. Right. Love it. <laughs> So uh, Stryker realizes something's going on, uh, looks through, basically has the door opened, and uh, all the people pull out Tommy guns and are pointing them at Luke, and, and Stryker's like, whoa, 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 you know, this is Luke Cage, he's, he's welcome here, and gives him a big hug. Uh, Stryker and Luke sit down and start drinking and talking together, and this is where we find out that Luke and Stryker grew up together um, in Harlem. Um, when Luke was in prison, Stryker actually constantly sent uh, money to to his like account so that he could always get like a better meal or cigarettes or whatever he needed while he was in prison. Um, Stryker basically offers Luke a job uh, to say, hey, you know, we could use your muscle. We could use your reputation for sure, you know, in the outfit. And Luke says he's got affairs that he needs to settle. Um, and Stryker's like, well, everyone you knew has either left Harlem or died. Um, and Luke asks about Josephine and Stryker's like, well, she died. Um, and we flashback. There's a lot of like those noir-ish flashbacks where everything's a little bit darker than it is just to give you the idea. All of this is very noir film based, which I really appreciate. The artist mm -hmm. for this is fantastic. Yeah, the art in this is incredible. Like, it's worth yeah. it just by itself. Yeah. Who so, who did it? Sorry, who did um, the art? The name of the artist is Sean Martinbro. And like I said, I, I've never heard of his stuff before, but he is the only actually African-American person involved with this comic. So um, I'll look for it. Yeah. It, for it, his it, stuff. It, it's very good. Um, so we flash back to basically Luke and Josephine meeting where... Luke gives the like typical 1930s dude rolling up on a woman and she is having none of it and reminds him that his mother probably taught him better. And he's like, this scene is incredible. Um, yeah. I am here for it. I instantly was love that character. Give yeah. her whatever she wants. Well, and immediately Luke's like, you're absolutely right, ma'am. I, I apologize. Like, like she puts <laughs> him in his place because he's, he is fronting and she calls him on it. And it's, I, I'm 1000% here for it. Uh, back in the present, Stryker says that there was a fire in her building um, and uh, she died two days later uh, in the hospital, but she gave Stryker uh, a necklace to give to Luke. Um, Luke, as he's receiving it, just again, the way the art is done, Luke's face looks like skeptical. And then you find out in the next panel, he's like, something is off. And just the way that they do it is very, very uh, uh, amazing. Like the facial expressions in this are fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, again, a throwback to noir films where if you're not paying attention to the character and like the slightest bit of what they're emoting, you're going to miss something. Um, 
So uh, a guy, uh, as Luke is like kind of pondering this, a gun goes up to Luke's head and there's a guy named Charlie Tuna uh, <laughs> who's there and he's looking for revenge. Uh, and, and Luke's like, do I know you? And he's like, yeah, you busted up like one of my one of my places. And he's like, oh, yeah, I remember you. Basically, you find out that this guy, Charlie, um, was slapping around. He was a pimp and he was slapping around some of his women. And he basically slapped around the wrong woman who knew Luke. So Luke showed up and beat him. Like it basically says beat him like a bitch in front of the world, like in front of <laughs> like his, his women, like people on the street, like he embarrassed the hell out of this guy um, and told everybody that the reason that he did it was because he beat on women. Um, basically Luke, like with a gun to his head, stands up, stares Charlie down and is like, have you heard about me? Do you know who I am? Then you know that pull that trigger, nothing, nothing's going to happen, except you're going to get your ass kicked. So I'm just giving you a chance to walk away and just stares at him. And Charlie's like, uh, uh, oh, uh, okay. And then <laughs> yeah, Luke, I remember I have to be somewhere. <laughs> right? I have an appointment. And in my favorite bit, because all of the language in this is 1930s specific also. I am not including all of it because I would have to explain the scene and then explain. But this is the one that I'm going to because before Charlie walks away, Luke's like, hold on, give me your lid. Uh, I like it. And so Charlie like hands him his hat. <laughs> and Luke's like, great. And Luke wears this hat for the rest of the comic. <laughs> Nice. It's pretty great. I do really appreciate all of the, the the period accurate slang in here, and even like region and and uh, location specific. It's true. Uh, it's really really good. Um, I was really impressed by that. I mean, as yeah, as as a ridiculous larper, I did a lot of like the research into like when I had a 1930s character to try and when I got angry or something, I would I would go back to that language. And all of this, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that, like that phrase. And mm -hmm. yeah. so uh, <laughs> basically, Charlie leaves. Um, uh, Stryker is like taking care of something else. And it's just Luke and a woman named Jackie left at the table. Um, and Jackie said uh, basically that what nobody will tell Luke is before Josephine died, uh, she was drinking heavily and uh, possibly hooking, um, prostituting herself. So then we go to Luke walking down the street and a car pulls up in a white man named Randall uh, Bantikoff um, asked for 10 minutes of Luke's time. Uh, Luke is like, why? And he's like, no, I just I, I want to, you know, give me 10 minutes. That's all I need. So Luke gets in the car and uh, the, Randall wants to hire him to investigate his wife's murder. She was a white woman who was murdered in Harlem. Uh, the police are not being forthcoming about it, which is strange. Um, and also he wants to try and basically avoid a race war is really what he's implying because yeah. a white woman died in Harlem. Uh, Luke asked for, basically Luke is like, what do I get out of it? And the guy's like, yeah, I'll give you like whatever you want. And he's like, okay, here's the deal. You're going to give me some spending money and you're going to clear by record. Um, and he's like, oh, I don't know if I could do that. Luke's like, okay, well, we're done here because that's all I want right now is, is my record cleared. Um, and he, he comes back. He's like, okay, I have enough strings to pull. I, I can figure that out. I, we can do that. So Luke takes cash from this guy, 
goes directly to the morgue and there is a brilliant scene i mean for it for it being written by two white men they are sensitive to certain topics and one of them is is displayed here because he gets into the morgue because the night security person at the morgue uh is black um and luke talks about how being black is the next best thing to being invisible because they're everywhere but nobody ever pays attention to them and it has like kind of a panel of you see a black maid you see like a, a valet you see a like all these people that are surrounding the you know the white community and everyone ignores them so that really sets up a lot of how luke gets in and out of places the rest of this comic and it's mm-hmm. awesome it is yeah. super awesome yeah, I, I, it was very, that was very well done, I think. So um, Luke goes, uh, basically he, he has the woman's corpse brought out um, and uh, he notes that there are marks around her throat, so she was strangled. Um, the mortician talks about how she's probably in, some, in Harlem for some quote-unquote forbidden fruit, uh, you know, that <laughs> she was, she was uh, well, when you're white, it's bunburying. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, like, if you're white and just going to the country, it's bunburying. But I'm not, <laughs> you know. Uh, basically, she just really liked the 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 Harlem atmosphere and had a. She was after probably, those jazz cigarettes. That's right, and probably yes. had a black lover. Right. Well, I don't, that's a the, both of those are very polite ways of saying. At least what I pulled from this was that it was implied she was go. She enjoyed going down to Harlem for the. Um, Eggplant emojis. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Luke notices that uh, Luke asks, like, so when did she come in? And the mortician's like, well, last night. He's like, she's bloating. So she's she's been dead for more than a day. So she was dead for a while before she came in here. Um, you know, uh, at, at, at this point. Three to seven will, days. What's that? Seven Three days. to seven days. Yes. My. <laughs> My forensic anthropologist uh, <laughs> co-professor here. Uh, so Luke then goes directly to dig up Josephine. Okay, so on the show, yeah, on the show, this is the second time we've had to deal with like graveyards and people digging things up. And the only thing I thought during this was at least this was not so they could get a DNA sample. Like in, yes. like in uh, Sins Past where Peter Parker just shoves a rod into Gwen Stacy's grave, mixes it around a little bit, and pulls it out to get DNA of her. It's terrible, terrible evidence collection. (laughs) Uh, I yelled about that. I'm pretty sure you you edited out about 45 minutes of my rant on that. (laughs) I mean, I I kept the good part. So so while he's digging up Josephine, we have the, the voiceover, and he talks about how the necklace that Stryker gave him wasn't something that he gave Josephine. Even though it said, like, my dear baby or something like that, uh, Stryker assumed that Luke had given it to her. And he's like, first of all, that was given to her by her father. Uh, if she died in a fire or she had been in a fire, there were no scorch marks in it. And she never took it off and would never have parted with it. Um, so something doesn't add up that Josephine would want Stryker to give Luke her necklace. Uh, he discovers the coffin is empty when he's ambushed by uh, a, a a gangster named Tombstone. Uh, How appropriate. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Tombstone being a, a, a main Marvel villain who is also like he is made of granite in the main Marvel universe. And hangs out in the cemetery. Well, not always. Uh, <laughs> we get a flashback uh, that uh, a man is with Luke and others in a strip club. And uh, the man is, is a white man. Uh, the white man smacks the stripper's ass. Uh, we are, we are, it is heavily implied that the stripper that he's slapping the ass of is Josephine. Um, when Luke approaches him, he calls, uh, uh, or all it says is that the white man calls Luke, quote unquote, something ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's heavily implied this was the N word mm-hmm. uh, without using it. Luke takes the man, throws him through the front window of the strip club, which, by the way, why a strip club has a front window. I've, I've not seen many strip clubs where you can go from where the women are dancing to a window. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they don't build them like they used to. Right. <laughs> and Luke just starts pummeling this dude on the sidewalk in the, like, next to the street. When he hits the guy, like, one more time to, like, like a couple of teeth getting like on the sidewalk and everything. And that's when a badge falls out of the guy's jacket pocket and looks like, well, I'm screwed. Um, and that's when Tombstone, uh, who's, you know, in this flashback comes up and shoots Luke twice. Uh, we flash back to modern day. Uh, the voiceover is telling us that Tombstone is an albino with a condition called uh, scleroderma, where mm-hmm. the skin hardens. This is actually a real condition. I looked this up. It is. This is a really it cool. is. Yeah. And he uh, talks. I don't know if someone who has it would consider it very cool. Well, okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> this is. But it's, so... it's cool for the context that you did. They didn't make anything up. Right. This is based in yeah. a real life condition. Right. Agreed. Instead yeah. of Tombstone, like being a dude made of rock. Right. He has a an actual physical condition. Right. That he's not a mutant. Yes. That yeah. is and in fact, we'll get to that after Luke Cage. We'll okay. talk about how mutants are dealt with here. And okay. it's awesome. Um, so but Luke's like, yeah, the, the downside of this for me is that he hits like a Mack truck because his skin, you know, in real life, you don't get the condition to the point where it's like stone, but they're they're playing with that a little bit here. Um, Luke uh, notices right before uh, Tombstone punches him a couple more times that the only thing in Josephine's coffin is a copy of the Lord's Prayer from St. Aidan's Church. Uh, Tombstone hits him a couple more times and basically says he has one night to leave Harlem. Uh, Just get on a train, go somewhere else. We don't want you. Uh, The next morning, Luke uh, meets up with Randall. and uh basically says you know she was strangled to death uh you know she was in harlem what do you know about it and randall's like but you are talking about my wife so let's let's ease off on like the the very because he's very clinical and he's like yeah she got strangled to death and these are the things i found um (laughs) and uh and he says that her name was lucy um and randall basically gives Luke more money and says, keep digging. You're, you're going in the right direction. Like, obviously I, I was right to trust you. Um, Luke has a voiceover about Randall and he's like, he does not trust him. Uh, and the quote that I pulled, because it's just, it's so good. People like Bantikoff like everything black. They just don't want to be it. So yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was great. Yeah. So Luke actually through this turns around and starts trailing Bantikoff, starts trailing Randall uh, to be like, something's off about this. So I'm just going to find out who I'm working for. And he follows him to an actual place called the Hotel Teresa, which is like the Waldorf Astoria of Harlem. And he and Luke explains there are two ways that you get into this building if you're black. One is holding a bag. The other one's holding a horn. Uh, <laughs> so he goes up to the front where a valet is and picks up a suitcase. And like the, the valet was like one of the ones and just walks into the hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, he finds Randall with a black woman. Uh, basically giving her money before she leaves the hotel. Um, and he decides to follow the woman. Uh, he follows her home and is drunk, jumped by a man who basically knocks him out with a baseball bat. Uh, he wakes up in the room covered in blood. Uh, there are pictures of white women all around him, uh, including Lucy, uh, and a lease to the apartment in his name, uh, amongst everything. And the police are already like banging on the door. So this is very classic, like it's the setup. Yeah, the setup. Yep. <laughs> uh, my favorite example of this is is actually Dark City, which is one of my favorite movies that is a sci-fi noir and so weird and so awesome. Um, so basically the but the cops are like bust in doors, start shooting immediately. Like there is no yeah. Uh, yeah, standard 1930s police procedure, really. Yeah, right. <laughs> standard 2021 police procedure. It's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah, also like Sin City. Yeah. Uh, the cops and Tombstone, because Tombstone is with the cops, uh, and they chase Luke to the roof, uh, and they charge him with the murder of Lucy. Uh, and he's like, she was killed the night before I was released from prison. And that's when... Uh, the cop, one of the cops is the one that he beat the crap out of uh, in the flashback, holds up a paper and says, that's not what this release pe- paper says. It says you were released the night she died. Um, Luke starts, uh, <laughs> so basically Luke is looking at the situation. He's like, okay, how am I going to get out of this? And he looks at Tombstone and he's like, okay, what do I know about Tombstone? Oh, he has X, Y psychological issues. So starts calling him Lonnie which is his real name. Um, and basically it's like, what was it that the doctor said about Yelani when you were born as a freak albino? <laughs> like, oh, nice. And like one of the other cops like like chuckles and Tombstone turns around and like punches him. And like basically he starts a fight between <clears throat> all of the cops uh, and Tombstone, uh, basically somebody's like, shoot Luke. And Tombstone's like, no, I tried that before. It doesn't work. I'm going to kill him with my bare hands. And goes at Luke, and Luke dodges, but pulls Tombstone's gun, uh, you know, and shoots the supports for the water tower that's on the roof. So the water tower falls, floods the roof, and washes Luke off of the roof. Um, that's comic book physics. It sure <laughs> yeah. is. Also, the fact that we don't see Luke land, we don't see anything like that. We just see him then walking down the street, uh, where he goes to Saint Aidan. His next, uh, you know, the next clue. So. While he's there, he's sitting in the pews. Sorry. Got away clean. (laughs) You're fired. (laughs) Well, thanks for coming, everybody. This has been the last episode of... (laughs) So while he's at uh, St. Aidan's, he's in the pews. There's a nun lighting candles for, you know, uh, various different, uh, different places. And the nun 
there's a picture of Josephine with a candle in front of it, and the nun lights the candle. So Luke goes over to her and is like, I knew that woman. She had no friends, no family, nobody that would light a candle for her. Why are you doing it? And the nun's like, oh, well, you know, everybody needs somebody to light a candle for them. And Luke's like, yeah. And he like says, you know, Josie, it's it's me. And she pulls the hood off and her face is like completely scarred all over. Um, She says she's made peace with the Lord and basically sends Luke away and says, never come back. Like, you're not going to find answers here. You're not going to find what you're looking for. Just go. You know, I'm alive, but never, never come back here. Um, so Luke gets home and Stryker is there with like some of his like gang. And he basically is like, well, you, you know, you've really done it. There's a lot of people like looking for you. Uh, so he offers Luke, basically he says, I have an apple farm in Maryland. You know, you can go there until the heat dies down. Um, you know, I'll give you half the farm. Uh you know, we'll own it together and it can get you some money to lay low. And Luke asks why Stryker's doing this. He doesn't owe Luke anything. Stryker says that when Tombstone shot Luke and Luke immediately got back up, um, it meant a lot to the community. Basically, the, the, the Black people of Harlem had somebody to rally behind because, you know, an albino shot a Black man who was beating on a white cop who had harassed a Black woman. Uh, and that should have been the end of it. That should have been basically game over. Another example of of uh, white people just keeping. But Luke got up, and um, we don't see what happened in the rest of the scene. We just see that Luke had gotten up, and Stryker was like, "I used that to light basically a fire under the community, and that's why I am where I am today." Um, so Luke basically says, "Okay, well, I'll go with you. I just gotta hit the head." So I'm going to go to the bathroom and he goes to the bathroom, closes the door and goes, oh, good. This place uh, still has um, gas powered lights. <laughs> so he blows the fire out in both of the, the uh, lights in the bathroom and breaks the window and jumps out of it. Um, the goons break down the door to be like, what's going on and light a match. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a harsh. large explosion. Basically, it looks like I know I'm being set up. They're, you know, we get the voiceover again of like this. Yeah, if I had gotten in that car, I would have been dead. Um, so Stryker runs out of the building on fire. And the only reason he survives is his valet takes like a crowbar and breaks a hydrant. Um, so Stryker, like, is, is put out. <laughs> uh, Luke then uh, finds Jackie, the, the woman who had told him about Josephine, on a subway platform and pushes her you know, into the tracks and is like, okay, well, um, I'll let you up, but I've got some questions as a train is approaching. <laughs> Same thing, um, canary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she says the night that Luke beat up the cop, everything changed. Basically tombstone was made into a cop. Like they just were like, okay, well, you're a cop now. Um, and tombstone and striker worked together to take the streets. They took the booze and they took the prostitution but then they started bringing in heroin. Uh, Luke points out that they don't have the money for heroin or the like clout or anything else. And Jackie says they're hooked up with some uh, rich black cat downtown. Um, Luke asks about Josephine. And Jackie says that with Luke gone, uh, Rackman, who's the copy beat up, so we have a name now, 
um, went after her more aggressively and she kept turning him down uh, to the point that she turned him down in public where everybody else saw. So Rackman had Tombstone cut her up and Stryker make her disappear. Um, Luke helps Jackie up, uh, but she's... uh, uh, but she's hopped up on opium and she refuses to leave her purse, which is down on the tracks on the third rail. Yeah. So she jumps down to get her purse is electrocuted. Uh, is, is that historically accurate? I don't know. The third rail. Yeah. Um, I mean, was, was the, the New York subway system at the time in the thirties? That's a good question. I feel I, like I imagine... it was, I feel like it was a it thing. Cause I feel like, I feel like it was, um, but yeah, offhand, not sure a hundred percent, like did not think to research that particular aspect. Of this right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will say I, I, my, uh, my uneducated guess is, uh, probably accurate. It seems it wouldn't like surprise me either way, then. but I mean, right. yeah. Well, I mean, like there is a lot of electricity, like there is electricity sure. in, a, in a bunch of places and it seems like only the like poorer areas would still have gas um right which is why luke is able to do what he's doing you know he does in the apartment so i don't know that's a good question um so the news uh, basically we we then see a newspaper that says that luke cage is wanted for murder um rackman and tombstone are in a hospital room next to striker who is now like covered in bandages and mummied and up in a hospital bed um and they're planning basically how they're going to kill luke uh, when there's a fourth unidentified man, just like a, a speech bubble from off panel, uh, basically calling them all pathetic and saying, you know, you got you got taken by by Luke Cage and you need to fix it. Um, so Luke is putting the pieces together in um, some some area. I mean, obviously, it's not his apartment because he just burned his apartment down. Um, but he realizes all the pictures of Lucy um, have her in the same outfit. And as he's looking at them, he's like, okay, they're overdeveloped. Like, this person was not taking their time. There were no Meredith Gerber, for sure. (laughs) Uh, And basically, he sucked at his job. And he's like, oh, I know who this was. And he goes to uh, a local club and sees a guy that he calls uh, Snap. Uh, Calls him what? Snap. Snap. Like you snap Snap a photo. Yeah. and Snap is all all sorts of willing to tell Luke whatever he wants to know. He's like, "Oh yeah, I took those pictures, and um, they were uh, the Banikoffs. I know them. Like they were always around. They were inseparable, and more importantly, they were given a pass to experience Harlem. They were white people that were able to go to the after hours jazz clubs and experience the the black experience, basically." Uh, and he says that uh, Rockman, the cop, paid Snap to take the picture. And Luke's like, well, that's that's good. That's that's absolutely what I needed here. Have some money. And Snap's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to take your money. Uh, you're my hero. So Snap, when he was a ch- uh, younger, when he was a kid, he said he was there when Luke stood up after being shot and that it was a game changer for him in Harlem. And basically, he as payment, he only asks for for Luke to to let him snap his or for Snap to photograph it. Um, back at the hospital, the unknown boss tells the three to fix the Luke Cage problem now. And Stryker's like, "Don't worry about it. We've still got an ace in the hole." And the guy's like, "Play it then." Uh, Luke goes back to Stryker's safe house 
beats up the same bouncer the exact same way. Reaches through the thing, <laughs> grabs his nostrils again, like nice. goes inside the safe house and looks at the rest of the guards and goes, you can leave or you can fight me. And all the guards leave. <laughs> uh, Luke goes to this table that is just like stacks of money piled on this table, puts all the money into a bag and burns the safe house down. Uh, while he's walking away, he thinks about, quote, the night he became Power Man. So this is where like we get the explanation for what was going on. Um, and it turns out he wasn't bulletproof. He just had a flask in his pocket that stopped the two bullets. Um, I loved this part, by the way. I thought that was brilliant. Um, like yeah. that, that actually made my jaw drop a little bit. Like I was like, that is, that's fantastic. Like yeah. how, how these urban legends start. You well, know, and, like, and Luke also realizes that because he then leans into it. So every mm-hmm. response going back, like when the kid first asked him, is it true your skin's made of steel? Luke doesn't say yes or no. He just flexes and says, what do you think? So yep. everything going back is Luke will use the power of his legend, uh, you know, to his advantage. Um, so back at the hospital, Stryker reveals that his ace in the hole is like a 10-year-old kid named Luke Cage Jr. It's uh, Josephine and Luke's kid. Um, elsewhere. Randall, like, is supposedly kidnapped off the street. Like, all it is is somebody forces him into a car and there are some people going, oh, no, that man's being kidnapped. Um, Luke stashes the money in a bus station locker um, and Randall bursts into the police station saying that he just escaped a kidnapping. Um, Meanwhile, Stryker, who has left the hospital still covered in bandages, watches his speakeasy burn from the backseat of a car. Um, And it's all, like, very... These things are happening very quickly, and, and, and we are to believe at the same time. Yeah. Uh, back at the morgue, Luke goes back to Lucy's body, and he realizes that he misdiagnosed the first time. Her bloating wasn't bloating after all. She was pregnant. And uh, he goes back to reaffirm that, that he's correct on that. And somebody's already been there and cut her open and taken the um, Tombstone walks in the room. And basically does the perfect 1930s villain monologue to explain everything. Um, <laughs> he and Stryker had led, uh, Rockman uh, led him on that Josephine was really interested in white men, but she just played hard to get. And they knew that as soon as uh, Rockman put his hands on Josephine, Luke would overreact. And if Tombstone saved the cop from a black man, he would then be in with the police and Stryker and Tombstone could use the police to their own ends. Um, And all of it worked perfectly, except Luke survived. Uh, So Tombstone's like, so it's your fault. I had to cut Josie all up. Uh, You know, I had to to do all of these horrible, horrible things and it's your fault. So while he's monologuing, Luke's like, but there's one thing he didn't know. And that's what I had behind my back. And that is when he takes the embalming needle that he's holding in his hand, sticks it into tombstone, and turns the, the uh, what do you call it, the cylinder? The pump? Yeah. Filled yeah. with Ow. embalming fluid on. Oh. Oh, he opens the valve. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And uh, tombstone's head literally pops. It is gross. I am not 100% sure that that is a realistic uh, depiction <laughs> of what would happen if yeah. you were to inject a living human being with formalin 
but I will allow it because comics. Yeah. <laughs> right. Also, because right. it looks awesome. Well, yeah, I, also, I also had issue with uh, the body was bloated. Oh, no, she's not bloated. She was pregnant. Fuck yeah, you. that seems like <laughs> that seems like either either. I, I mean, you can sort of credit Luke for not being like a physician, right? <laughs> but I mean, at well, the same it, time, there's a difference, right? Yeah, I should well, I should point out I should point out that the artwork has it look like like it was the early months of pregnancy, like yeah, maybe two, sure. three, like three, four months pregnant, um, like enough that that you know there's some noticeable like swelling, but not enough that like right. it's you know that she's really showing. Again, um, the, the artwork does a lot of the heavy lifting in this, which is why it's yeah. difficult to explain it sure. in audio format. Right. Well, I guess my point is, and Leia, correct me if I'm wrong, if there's bloating on a corpse, it's going to be like the face in the hands. Everywhere. Oh, yeah. So not just the abdomen. Yeah, bloat isn't necessarily restricted to just one area of the body right. ever. I will caveat that and say that if there are extenuating circumstances like mm-hmm. infection or um, open wounds, things like that, it may start there. But yeah, it would be noticeable all over. I will also allow that 1930s Luke Cage does not know 2021 right. uh, medical examiner, you know, forensic oh, sure. anthropology, sure, sure. et cetera. So that's, like, I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, that's also where I am is this. This does a very good job of sticking to 1930s science and what people know in the 1930s. Right. So confusing with swelling with pregnancy. I don't know that that's too far off the mark for 1930s. Well, no, and kudos to him for even noticing that. Right. Right. (laughs) Or just lay people, lay people in general, to be honest, like a lay, yeah. how's a lay person going to look at a corpse and be like, clearly, blah, blah, blah. Like when you, know, like when you don't know shit, like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so Luke, the next scene is somebody getting into the front seat of Rackman's car because Rackman is having people driving him around. Rackman thinking that it's tombstone is like, is it done? And uh, Luke basically says, you shouldn't touch other people's prop or women. Uh, he then drives Rackman off a bridge. Like the car goes off a bridge. You don't see Luke. So you assume like he, he doesn't show him bailing out or anything, but the car goes off a bridge. Uh, Rackman at this point, for one reason or another, has a broken leg. So can't jump out of the car. Um, Was it, Rackman on top of the water tower? Rooftop? Yes, that yeah. must be it. Yeah. 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 That's uh, what I assumed. I assumed he got hurt in the yeah. weird flood. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the next scene is Bancroft, uh, Randall, is talking to a police officer who's like, sir, you really should cancel your charity event tonight. And he's like, no, this was really important to my wife. It, it's something that just it needs to happen. We need to keep it going. Um, there are a lot of, you know, it's charity. So there's a lot of people depending on it. And the cop is like, okay, well, we'll have a couple of squads uh, like here watching the building. And um, so Luke, at this point, we see Josie back at the church going into the confessional booth. And you have the classic, like, she thinks she's talking to the father. It's Luke in the priest-like area. And this is where Josie fills in Luke on what she knows. And that's, first of all, she tells Luke he has a son that she didn't know he was pregnant or she was pregnant until he had gone away. And at that point she tried to write to him, but he was in like the deepest, darkest hole because he had beat the crap out of a cop. Um, 
And uh, it's the only reason that she's still alive because Tombstone, for all of his foibles, was a mama's boy. So when Tombstone found out she was pregnant, instead of killing her, he just horribly scarred her and and Stryker put her in a in a okay. in a convent, right? Okay. Uh, so uh, basically, he bring himself to kill her, so he mutilated her. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. He just tortured her. That's what all. a softy. Which actually, mm-hmm. if you're familiar with Tombstone in like the Spider-Man comics, normally is where he shows up. It's very on brand. Very okay. very on brand. <laughs> uh but they kept her son. So once she had her son, they stuck her in the convent and took the son as basically collateral as protection uh so that she wouldn't talk so that you know everything was fine uh luke ends this whole conversation with probably one of my favorite noir-esque like statements because he's like all right josie we won't see each other again uh and i won't even see you in heaven and she's like why is that he's like because i'm gonna kill a whole lot of people (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was pretty great I, I really want this in film form. I really, yeah. really think that this would make an amazing noir like story. Um, yeah. It doesn't even have to be Luke Cage. It could just be like its own. Yeah. So cool. Um, mm-hmm. So Luke basically word on the street, like he tells people, hey, let Stryker know I want a meeting. Stryker gets back to him through word on the street to say, great, meet at the barbershop. Uh, so Luke shows up at the barbershop and Junior... <laughs> Uh, Luke Cage Jr. is in the barber chair. Stryker is over him, like, giving him a haircut, shaving his head, like, basically has sharp implements around the child. Uh, And he cuts Jr. a little bit, like, right on the side of the head. And it's like, Luke, hand me a, 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 I'm so clumsy, hand me a towel. And Luke's like, go ahead and kill the kid. Uh, You know, his mama was a whore. Don't even know that he's mine. Uh, I, I don't, I don't care. And uh, basically, this gets Stryker flustered, and he's like, you are not in control. I am in control. Give me a towel. (laughs) So while he's flustered, Luke's like, okay, goes and gets a towel, and then, like, takes the towel and wraps up both of Stryker's hands. And this is when my favorite supporting character, Stryker, jumps into action, because (laughs) Walt the Barber takes the glass jar of, like, uh, what do you call it? Disinfectant with all of yeah. the barbicide. Smashes it over one goon's head, takes the aerosol can and a lighter, and sets the second goon on fire, who, like, is freaking out and jumps out the front barbershop window. Um, and Luke is, like, making sure Junior's okay and apologizing to him uh, when uh, Stryker basically puts a gun to Luke's head. And Luke's like, like the voiceover is like, okay, well, this is it. But you know, I did what I could. And from across the room, Walt the barber throws a pair of scissors into Stryker's eye, killing him instantly. <laughs> it's dope. <laughs> okay. So something Comics. that I thought was Walt just... Walt the barber is a ninja. <laughs> kind of. And it's going to make sense. And I didn't make a note of it back in the beginning because I didn't think it was important. It does become important at the end, so I'm going to talk about it now. Walt the Barber was one of Harlem's hellfighters. Mm-hmm. So he talks about how he had gone to the to the war, yeah. to World War One, yeah. and come back a hero, but that hero, like, whole thing only lasted, you know, a week or two. Right. You know, where they actually respected Black men for, like, a week or two who right. had fought for their country, and then nothing. 
Um, well, and, and also it was it was point he pointed out too that like when they arrived in Paris, um, yeah. they threw everybody a you know parade and and whatever. Um, and this actually speaks to historically um, in Paris in the 1930s, they were much more accepting of black folks and treated them with yeah. you yeah. know much more uh, decency, respect, and and etc. And they, they did not have the same issues uh, that they did over here in the States. So when a lot of these black soldiers came back from the Great War, um, they were they they essentially had they'd seen the other side, um, right. you know, they, and they were like, hey, wait a minute. What it was <laughs> to be like a war hero or to right. be a person. Yes. Yeah. To Absolutely. be treated like a person. <laughs> right. So uh, Stryker's body like slumps down against a wall and Luke looks over at it and goes over and pulls up picture uh that walt had of like some soldiers off the wall looks at it and then there is like no speech no whatever there's just vignettes of luke handing walt um the key to the locker um you know that has all the money um walt kind of falling down to his knees in front of luke um junior being freed junior reuniting with josie or yeah with josie like all of these things. And then we go to Bancroft's charity event where he's around a table with a bunch of white people. Luke walks up and basically says, uh, there probably should have been police officers at the service at servants entrance, but there wasn't, which confirms my suspicion that the, the kidnapping was a fake. Um, so he just walks into the service entrance, walks into the room, and confronts Randall in front of all of his white guests and tells a story. And the story is about um, a man who went and was a Harlem Hellfighter, saw what it could be like to be, but was light enough to pass as white. So he re reformed himself like his life, um, married a rich white woman, started going into all of these things, uh, but then found out his wife was pregnant. And if the baby was dark, it would blow up his entire world. So he killed his own wife um, and tried to flame, frame Luke for it by hiring him and putting him in the situation. Uh, Randall basically like freaks out, does the villain thing and just shoots Luke twice. Luke like shrugs it off, punches him through, a, like he's there in the penthouse, punches him through a window. So Randall's dead. Um, one of the black men, uh, the like waiters at this event is like, but he shot you. Luke looks at him and says, I'm Luke Cage. Tell people what you saw here tonight and leaves. Um, but then you see that he's walking, like he left the building as quickly as he could. He walks to the riverside, he's bleeding and he bleeds out and falls into the river. Oh, I like it. Mm -hmm. um, see, that's... That's a noir ending. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, so the rest of it is basically what happens to everybody else um, with a voiceover from Luke. So Luke talks about how people will only know the myth, which is fine because the myth is stronger. It's cleaner. It allows people to believe what they want. It gives them hope and it gives them pride, gives them a tomorrow. And the last panel that you see is Josie and Junior in nice like church clothes on a bus leaving Harlem. Mm. Nice. So that yeah. was Luke Cage Noir. Wow. Yeah. I, I want to. It was that. really good. Yeah. It is. It is super good. And 
You know, I have not read anything in the noir universe. Uh, other than this, the only other ones that I've read are both of the X-Men and both of the Spider-Man uh, comics. Um, they're all very, very good. Uh, and we'll talk about it uh, just after this. But Dan, do you feel that uh, you have been explained Luke Cage noir? Yeah, yeah. I think I have a very good um, understanding of... Uh, how it went, how the story goes, what what was going on. Um, I, I have to say that um, as a noir fan, there are some things that are sort of classic noir that are not really present. Mm-hmm. Mostly the, um, uh, I think I mentioned it before, the omnipresence of an uncaring universe. Yeah. Uh, and also sort of on a more prosaic level, a, 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 a grand conspiracy going f- deeper around the protagonist. And there was, to, I was bit, waiting for yeah. more of that. And the, the whole right. Randall thing at the end makes fits into that a little bit, but, um, but otherwise, yeah. I mean, yeah, that was, that was great. Well, I think, and, I think so. that the, fir- the, to your first point, um, what, what kind of, I, I think is, is better experienced when read is that the, uh, the general crappiness of life in this particular series is very right. much framed through the black experience. Right. Right. So like, you know, it is, it is a shithole universe kid, but also it's because of like racism, you know? Right. So right. Like, right. Um, it, yeah, I did appreciate that a, a great deal in terms of the, the noir universe. Like it, it really, I thought that it actually slotted right. in very well uh, in terms of the whole experience, and and, right, and visually right. you see it in the panels with the artwork and things like that. So, um, sure, sure, you know, for and sure. I think I think there's a very fine line between noir and just not just, but and hard boiled. Yeah, right? sure, I agree. Which is much more focused on the the protagonists' um, like <laughs> internal struggle as opposed to the protagonist struggle against, and, and I think both of them are represented here. So I think it, it works well. And I think you're right. The, the, the whole racism angle and the invisible man, Ralph right. Ellison kind mm-hmm. of thing yes. is, yeah. is, is that, um, but it, I mean, it sounds fascinating. I really want to read it now. <laughs> I, yeah. I will it's, say, it's really good. Yeah, I will same. say in, in your definition of hard boiled, cause I am not as big into the. I appreciate noir. I love noir, like watching it. But I'm not like stu- I, I have not studied it, or I've not. Gotten I, I don't. Yet. I don't want to give the impression that I've made a great study of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but when you talk about hard boiled in that, uh, Spider-Man Noir is very much more a hard boiled. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is. Yeah. It is the okay. way that they frame, and this is actually a good like way to talk about that. Um, great segue. <laughs> without yeah, without giving away too much, um, Spider-Man is about. Uh, the Great Depression and, and the fall of Wall Street and uh, Hoovervilles and like all of these things like Aunt May is going to these Hooverville camps and speaking out in support of socialism. Uh, Good for her. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and a lot of that, those right. comics are about that and about the experience of the great depression and the poor versus the, the people right. that profited and all of that. And it's great. And it's about like the media's role in it. It's, it's fantastic. X-Men on the other hand is about the psychological side of it because right. instead of the mutant gene, what they have is professor X basically talking about how the next step in evolution 
is uh, being a sociopath. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, wild. Yes. Like, That's so Rogue's power is not a mutant power where she can take somebody else's power. Rogue's power is if she is in a room with you, she will eventually just adapt your personality. So she <laughs> is a chameleon in the sociopathic way. And all of the mutant abilities in that are are sociopathic. So they're, they're psych- psychological. So like Beast is is extremely agile, but he's also like extremely intelligent. It's the, it's the intellectual parts of that. Sure. But it's also that his own personal, uh, you know, uh, derangement for lack of a better term is <laughs> is that he also believes he's better than others. Right. Um, you know, uh, and so it goes through that and it's super cool because to take these, the the Luke Cage, the way the, the reason that I took it and said everything is so boiled down into this is Spider-Man is the only noir that I've read out of all of these that actually has powers. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the, the only reason that he has powers is in a very noir way. There is a Mayan statue that is being moved on behalf of Norman Osborn. The, the clumsy oafs break it and a bunch of spiders come out and kill one of the one of the goons. One of the spiders bites Peter, but he sees basically he has a dream of a Mayan god, spider god, telling him that only the pure may have the Mayan god's power. So he gets agility and he gets the ability to shoot webs. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and, and spider sense. But And that doesn't even really happen until like yes, ooh, a little through. bit more than halfway through the, the, the story. And it's only four issues. Right. And I mean, mm-hmm. like all of the, the uh, rogues gallery work for Norman Osborn, but all of them are former circus freaks. Right. So mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, uh, Bulcher is a, is a geek, like in the original sense, like he bites heads <laughs> off the chickens Biting and stuff. But, yeah. yeah. But somewhere along the line, like he sharpened his teeth and he became a cannibal. So like, like this whole thing is like very grounded. Um, well, it's, right. it's very, it's implied too, that that's because of his position as a circus yes. freak, essentially is that like you know it's kind of a chicken and an egg situation where it's like you know yeah he's he's a circus geek bites has chickens and shit but like also people are paying to see something weird you know so he sharpens his teeth to be weird and then like eventually kind of adapts this weird savage personality Mm -hmm. um you know half feral and whatnot and it's kind of it's it's interesting because it's like you don't really know if if that's the if that's who he is as a person, or if this is just an act that eventually kind of caught up with him, you know what right. I mean? Took him over. Yeah. Right. right. And I mean, this universe, I, man, I really enjoyed it, but I mean, there are certain ones that they've done that I'm like, okay, like Iron Man, they did Iron Man noir. I'm like, okay, it's going to be steampunk basically. I mean, they may surprise me, but <laughs> generally like not as excited about that one. Um, you know, Wolverine shows up in the X-Men one. So why they have a Weapon X and a Wolverine Noir, it's just because probably Wolverine's popularity at this point in time. Right. Um, right. But Daredevil and Punisher, I want to read those. I want to get my oh, hands yeah. on them. I want to read them because Daredevil and Punisher are generally Noir comics already. And, right. <laughs> and they're street yeah. level too. Right. And I think that 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 makes that I think that makes a big difference as well because just every yeah, Iron Man, not street level. X-Men. Not street level. Like, I mean, they were right. made street level for the purposes of this, but 
Right. I think the street level heroes were a good call when they were developing this series because it translates very well to that noir right. uh, aesthetic. Gritty. Yeah. Right. Well, and yeah. And the other thing that I really like is in the X-Men one, not to give too much away, because I do want to encourage people to read it because this universe is just great to experience. It's really cool. The the Brotherhood versus X-Men uh, relationship is framed as Professor X is running basically a, a juvenile delinquent uh, facility because he's a psychologist in the, the 30s. So he takes in these quote unquote broken juveniles. Um, so it's like a sanitarium. Yes. And the Brotherhood mm-hmm. side is all Magnus, is all Magneto, but he is the chief of detectives and so all of his stuff is hand-picked people that he realizes also has this sociology or the psychological pathological conditions that he basically brings into the police force and starts grooming them and in fact the whole thing is put through the view of his son peter uh pietro um and wanda and so you see, basically, Peter has tried to be his emulate his father all of his life. He gets to a certain point in the police force and realizes his father is out of his mind and doing things the wrong way. So it's it is also a classic noir. The uh, the the expectations of a good man uh, right. being dashed. So you get a lot more of that uncaring world in the x-men comic <laughs> uh you know which is but stands to reason for that you know right and so story. like at one point magnus and xavier were working together like as in the normal comics but then magnus framed xavier uh for uh basically encouraging warren to kill himself like this whole thing and put him in jail but now magnus is the only person that visits xavier in jail and it's a whole thing. It's it's really, really cool how they mm-hmm. took it. And I cannot even imagine the multiple whiteboards of storyboarding that had to happen to be like, okay, this is the 616. This is what's happening in the Marvel universe, but we need to fit it into noir. How do we do that? And right. very so cool. I have a question about that. Sure. About the X-Men specifically, because I mean Luke Cage, right? Luke Cage is a hero. And he is a, from your description, a heroic protagonist, even though, yeah, he kills a lot of people, but he is definitely on the side of the angels, right? But it sounds to me like uh, neither the X-Men nor the Brotherhood, and the, the Brotherhood being cops, by the way, I think is is amazing. Yes. Um, <laughs> but but the X-Men are not heroes, right? Correct. And yeah. everything everything is kicked off in the first couple of pages because the body of Jean Grey washes up on the shore and she has an, an X tattoo. And yeah. so the police are basically like, oh, well, obviously the X-Men killed one of their own. Like, and that brings you into the world. And it is also Pietro's first night, or sorry, Peter, because they drop Pietro because the fact that Magnus was an immigrant ties into the whole sure. thing. Yeah, it's so good. Um, the, but, the one the one point I want to briefly point out. Yes. So one of the things that I thought that was interesting, just as a side note, is that uh, Magneto uh, being into eugenics uh, mm. was. Uh, That's true, too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I was like, wow, buddy, I, I, 
I have some bad news for you about where that's going to go <laughs> in a couple of years. Right. 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 Which Although, is kind of the, the opposite of where Magneto ended up in the uh, MCU universe. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, it is, it is two sides in like 1930s, two sides of the same point, right? On one side you have, um, you have eugenics and on the other side you have psychology. Um, yeah. Both, yeah. both kind of bird, you know, budding in, in theory, but yeah, they, they do use that as two sides of the same coin uh, mm-hmm. to explain right. the differences in, uh, in ideology between Xavier and Magneto, which is great. Yeah. Um, right. You know, and yeah, absolutely. Pulling in his, his whole, like there is a whole part where Magneto or sorry, Magnus is asked how long it took him to get rid of that accent that uh, changed his name at Ellis Island because the the person writing down the name couldn't understand him. And like, instead of being yeah. angry, Magnus is like 16. But I did it for my <laughs> children because I wanted them to have a better life than I have. Like it was, it's mm-hmm. very, very cool. It's very period specific. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah, and it's, you know, it's uh, it's only the original. Ex- oh, oh. The other part that I have to mention, of course I do, is that uh, Gambit runs the uh, local casino. Of course. Um, (laughs) And so that is how they bring him in, is he's just Remy LeBeau, this Cajun trash that happens to have gotten his hands on this local casino. Um, Sure. Yeah. And it's, you know, that, of course, was just (laughs) made me giddy because he is involved in all of this because people owe him money. Both the cops and the X Men aspects owe him, and like he uh, he talks about how Jean Grey was banned because she's the grifter in their group. Because and he talks about how it just seems like she could control men's minds at the table, uh-huh. um, which is a great like nod, but at the same time leaves the supernatural or the the powers aspect out of it. Right, mm-hmm. and then like I said, Spider Man, the one character in all of this that seems to actually have powers it comes from a very noir source because yeah. they even mention in that comic king tut's curse right uh you know which is a big deal at this point in history uh yeah so yeah. noir universe highly recommend uh you know uh i will definitely look into it because quite frankly until you put it on the list of things for me to consider talking about or learning about i hadn't really even heard of it yeah i i, I have except to admit as part uh, of into the spider-verse right so right right i, I and i have to admit i never i didn't realize this was a comics thing i i don't know how that escaped my notice i thought that again it was just like a creation of into the spider-verse or something right like wouldn't it be cool if but i didn't realize there was a whole comics line about it well what's what's cool is if you liked anything from into the spider-verse all of that existed in comics beforehand right none of that was created for that movie so like the the anime girl there mm-hmm. is marvel uh is it called marvel anime marvel hentai uh, not hentai, whoa. hentai marvel manga um like there's an entire world where they redid everything and coming up this season on this show is of course 1602 which was neil gaiman yeah. recreated the marvel universe in the year 1602 making it uh accurate to victorian era which is that's that's awesome. way pre-victorian oh, sorry yeah that's way colonial 
colonial. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. English major, not a history person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Victorian was much closer to us than yeah. that. Um, but yeah, just very. Uh, I really like it, and and I like I like oh. covers of songs. I like things redone in a way that's new. Uh, we just watched the first episode of uh, the Cowboy Bebop live action last night. I really enjoy it. I think it's a great interpretation. Um, Never read I, it. Well, Cowboy Bebop. Or saw it, rather. Yeah. Uh, but it's, again, it's I like interpretations of things and new mm-hmm. ways of exploring them. Sure. So. Cool. Also a big fan of the Ultimates universe, which, again, was people were tired of having to go back 20 years to read a comic to understand a reference that was in a modern comic so they were like well let's just reboot it <laughs> so yeah i'm here for that i love that stuff i love the reimaginings and yeah. you know and and the uh the what if you know stuff whatever especially like you know the the show the recent disney plus show right yeah. very cool i love that kind of stuff i actually yeah. like the fact that that show turned out to have a core thread Yes. From episode to episode. That, yeah. uh, because it, the first few episodes, it's like, okay, this is this, this is that. It's separate. They're completely unconnected. I like the way they brought it all together. Yes. Yeah. Agree. Guardians of the Multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, because I love it, not you, Tony Stark. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was my right. favorite part of it. Is like, is like they're they're naming all these characters and they're like, not you, Tony Stark. Like, not, not you've not had you. your moment. Yeah. <laughs> also, I will do literally anything for Captain Carter. I, yes. I, that's all I want. That's all I'm I here. want forever yeah. for the whole rest of my life. I'm yeah. here for it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> if, if nothing else comes out of this multiverse stuff that they're doing, just give me that they just wretch Captain Carter from that yeah. into the main continuity yes. and she's just a thing now. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure. like, I, I already loved Peggy. I loved Peggy in the first right. Avenger and um, in, oh, in Agent Carter. There Carmen. you are. <laughs> we it. lost you. Hey. So we got to uh, that you loved her in um, First uh, Avenger. First Avenger. And, then, and I imagine you were then going to say in the first season of Agent Carter, Agent Carter, which was the only season that they made. That is exactly what I said. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, uh, did you, uh, in, in, did you ever finish Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Did I ever finish Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yes. I've only ever watched maybe halfway through the first season of that show. I've never watched anything past it. Because the last season, they interacted with Agent Carter and kind of finished Aww. some of that. Oh, yeah, that's they tied, nice. They, they tied some things up. Yeah. yeah I, I would recommend that. I can't remember the name of the the guy with the, the cane. The, the guy with the limp. Yeah, the agent Joe. with the limp. Was that his name? Oh, he was, yes. Um, God, I'm blanking. I know I can picture exactly what he looks like. Yeah. I know who he is. Yeah. He yeah. joins the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. out of time. They pulled oh, him right cool. before he was dying. He died. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Nice. yeah. So nice. I highly recommend Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., by the way. Uh, like, I lost the thread on that show about halfway through the third season. Uh, yeah. You lose. So the thing, the thing is, it, so third season would have been Hive. Like all of the yeah. inhumans and, and like, yeah, and, and Ward is actually Hive from another unit. Yeah. Um, the second half of that. I, it it might have even been better. the second season. I, I, I just. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, the thing I mean, is, also, he... I was watching it with my son, and and he stopped having time. So. Oh wow! Well, yeah. <laughs> if you're looking, if you if you're feeling a a that that you don't have anything Marvel, I would recommend Agents of Shield. Um, just because I find that it really adds a, a cool experience into the larger Marvel world. Um, sure. Because all of the parts that have not been explored in the MCU have been explored in that show. Um, and it ties in, like there are multiple yes. tie-ins to uh, MCU movies. Right. And once you right. get to fourth season and the new Ghost Rider shows up, he's freaking awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually did start re-watching it at one point, probably because of something you posted, uh, Josh, um, about how great the last couple seasons were or whatever. Yeah. So I, I didn't get very far, but it's it's still there in my the back of my head on my list of, oh, yeah, I probably should watch that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, the second season I'll give you uh, is, is kind of a uh, drag because it deals with a lot of inhuman stuff. And I've never been a fan of inhumans. Yeah, um, same. But yeah. the the payoff of that is you get a fully formed uh, quake, uh, Daisy Johnson, by the end of it who understands okay. her powers. And then by third season, she has grabbed a bunch of other Inhumans and created the Secret Warriors, um, okay. which is like a powered up, super secret uh, division of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, okay. But it also deals with a lot of the like fallout of Captain America, Winter Soldier, right. where S.H.I.E.L.D. is just, you know, it, all of that happens. Like the movies kind of ignore that whole shield fell thing moving forward agents yeah. of shield very much has to deal with it um right yeah so anyway cool. well right. thank you so much for joining us dan uh thank you you know uh and jen thank you for joining us. uh please everyone tune in in two weeks when i will be taking our friend jason taylor through my favorite comic of all time just the first two graphic novels of it Transmetropolitan. We're it's going to be lit. We're going to bring oh, Warren Spector. Ellis into the house. Oh, yeah. We're, we're going to introduce nice. Jason to Transmetropolitan and uh, have another convert because I've never heard anybody say that they started reading Transmet and didn't like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's good stuff. Yeah. I mean, it might be a little difficult in today's Warren political Ellis. climate. No, it actually holds up really well. No, no, it holds it, up but really it's well. painful. But it's painful. Right. It might yeah. be painful. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I see what you're saying. Until then, take it away, Vandello. Some deep reactions, please. All this comics narration alienating me. A little more talk, a lot less read. A little five babies of what I need. Close the trade, open up your brains. Explain it to me. Explain it to me, baby. Explain it to me. Explain it to me, baby. Explain it to me. Vendello 2021.